the Nets were having injury issues and Kevin Durant was one shoe size away from sending them home in the second round. We have not given enough credit for a team that has been there, done that, and it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that ring. ESPN Radio. Was last night more of a statement about the Milwaukee Bucks or the Brooklyn Nets? This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I'm Amber Wilson. She's Courtney Cronin. We are taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern. You can tweet to us at AmberW790, at Courtney R. Cronin. You can also join the conversation on the Canty Collin line at one 888 espn We love to hear from you. 888-729-3776. We are asking you today, should Giannis now be the MVP frontrunner in the NBA? And it is time now for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. So, Courtney, the Milwaukee Bucks, they edged out the Brooklyn Nets last night, 120-119. to 119, A close one, and also one where Giannis made history. He passed Kareem as the franchise scoring leader, he looked phenomenal again last night. He has really taken his game up to another level here as we're coming down the stretch of the regular season. So now, is he the guy? Is he the MVP, Courtney? I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment here, Amber, but I also like to go off of history and where Giannis was the other two times that he won the MVP race. Was it a late season surge? Was it his outright throughout the entire campaign that year? And I think that it's fair to say that he is 100% in the mix. Now, is he the front runner? You can debate that, but certainly the last two performances, if we're looking at this in a vacuum, beating the Philadelphia 76ers on Joel Embiid's floor, someone who is also contending for the MVP, and then the win that they had last night in overtime, the performance that Giannis put together to lead this late-game charge for the Milwaukee Bucks, 121-19 final. I think that we're looking at this right now saying, okay, Giannis is coming on and making his case at the most opportune time for MVP voters to be looking around the league as they're trying to tie this thing up and figure out who is going to walk away with that award. You bring in the case against Nikola Jokic and against Joel Embiid. I think that he has a better body of work this season. This is a weird thing to say considering this is a career year for Joel Embiid. I would take Giannis over Joel Embiid. I don't know if his case is as strong as Nikola Jokic, just body of work-wise. But Jokic always does this in such a quiet way. It's probably because the team he plays for and kind of like being stuck right in the middle of the Western Conference where he doesn't get his due nationally, where we don't talk about him in the same way that we're talking about Giannis after dropping 44 last night. But man, passing Kareem, the way that he's done it these last two games, he's certainly strengthening his case. If he doesn't end up winning it, he will certainly come close here down the stretch of the regular season. Now, Jokic is still the odds-on favorite to win the award. It felt like, though, all season we've been talking about Joel Embiid as the favorite to win the award or Jokic right behind him. Giannis wasn't even part of the conversation, it didn't seem like, until the last few weeks. Of course, he could have been part of the conversation. I think one of the things that happens here, though, with Giannis is we're accustomed to his greatness. It happens to all the greats, right? The guys like LeBron James, who could have won MVP so many more years than he actually won the MVP awards. And Giannis is kind of, uh, I think, experiencing that as well, where we're a little bit fatigued by Giannis's greatness. But the thing about Giannis is he's actually taken his greatness to another level this season, Courtney, which is hard to imagine. He has actually improved in most every category, and he has added a, a mid-range game 
to his repertoire in a huge way this season if you look at his shot chart. So it is remarkable that Giannis is still improving here as generational as Giannis is, but it appears that he has legitimately gotten better this season, and so he's better than he was when he won an MVP. So that would certainly lend itself to an argument there for Giannis. But I think because Jokic has been the one leading in all categories all season long, and you're right, it's easy to overlook him because of where he plays and because his team's not always the best in terms of the standings, but he has been dominating in just about every category you pull, at least in terms of the offensive side of the ball. And because of that, I think I would just give it to Jokic still uh, when we're talking overall body of work. Mm -hmm. I think giving it to Giannis is a bit of a prisoner of the moment thing, like you mentioned, where it's the momentum here down the stretch for Giannis and the Bucks. But what he did last night was incredible, and him passing Kareem, of course, is the franchise scoring record. Uh, A huge accolade there for Giannis in Milwaukee. Here was Giannis last night on doing just that. Did not know um, about it, but it's good. It's good because uh, I'm changing the narrative, you know. I'm not the, I'm, I don't want to be the guy only that dunks and runs. You know, I can, you know, make a, a three. But I want myself to stay humble. You know, I feel like the more humble I get and the more hungry I stay, the more things I can accomplish. You know, the more the more art I can create. Uh, playing basketball is like creating art. So, and the more I can prolong my my career. So, I just got to keep staying humble, keep trying to make my, my teammates great, win games. And uh, good things like tonight going to happen. Nothing says humble like the person who consistently talks about being humble, humble, by the way, which is absolutely the Giannis move. Also, nothing says humble like comparing your game to art. I mean, he's an artist. I mean, most artists are one-name people, right? Like Picasso. Does he have a last name, Amber? I don't think so. Um, we only know him as name, Picasso. Um, uh, Pablo Picasso, whatever. Prisoner <laughs> of the moment, Courtney over here. No, but I mean, I think that... He's right because he's talking about the way that his game has evolved and versus the last two times that he won the MVP award. And yes, he was talking about getting the score franchise scoring record, which was a, a record that was held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the Milwaukee Bucks for a very long time until Giannis ended up passing him last night. That he's not trying to rest on his laurels right now. He's not trying to rest on the fact that the Bucks consistently win 50 games every single year. And he's part of that. And he has to keep things in perspective here because as this whole thing kind of comes together for the Milwaukee Bucks and realizing the pieces that he has around him that other teams and other players who are at the same level don't. I mean, he's had Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday for most of the year this year. Nikola Jokic, on the other hand, has been without his two co-stars since October. So that factors in, I think, as we talk about the overall body of work, where each player ranks in terms of the the straw polls that we read and the odds-on favorites for the MVP award. I feel like as we try to like round this thing out right now, it's weird because Joel Embiid, if we're talking two months ago, he's the favorite to win this award. I think he's not a distant third, but you can steadily put him in under Jokic, Giannis, and then Joel Embiid. I'm with you. I I, I would have Joel 
third at this point. I will say, though, that Joel defensively is far superior to Jokic. So that would be the one knock against what Jokic has done. But to your point, when you were talking about Jokic's supporting cast and missing some key pieces there, I think if you take Jokic off the Nuggets, you're talking about a lottery team at best. Whereas you're right, at least Giannis does have not just pieces around him, given no other superstars, fine, but he has some pieces around him, but also pieces around him that have won rings before. Now, given Chris Middleton got ejected last night, but he was there to help him for the majority of the game. Antetokounmpo right now, uh, his odds have improved from 12 to 1 to 5 to 1 this week, making him the third choice actually behind Jokic and Joel Embiid, according to Caesars Sportsbook. Jokic is a minus 200 favorite. Joel Embiid is a plus 200. So these things have changed in terms of Giannis entering the conversation, but I think maybe we're at a point in the season it's just a little too little too late for him to actually win the MVP when we've been talking all season long about it being Jokic or Embiid. I do think Giannis, though, Courtney, deserves the MVP in terms of dad jokes. His press conferences have been a riot. Here's one of Giannis's classics. Why did the bicycle could not stand on his own? It was too tired. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just got that. I, I didn't. It took me a minute. Oh, they're so bad. They're Where so does he bad. come up with these? I mean, he clearly Googles something. Oh, he he went to the podium before the other day. every time he goes up to the podium because I've heard them before. Yeah, he walked up to the podium the other day with a book of dad jokes. That's how committed he is to the act. And I said on this show the other day. Nobody else is doing it. You know, he's carved out his own lane here in the NBA. I mean, everybody else in the NBA is trying to be fashionistas. They're trying to be super cool. They're hanging out with all the cool kids. Giannis is carving out a lane by himself of dad jokes, and I'm here for it. I feel like it's a it's it's a path nobody has yet forged, and so allow Giannis Antetokounmpo to forge it. So the Bucks they got a win last night. I wonder, though, from Courtney Cronin's perspective, was this win – does it say more about the Bucks, who were phenomenal, or does it say more about the Brooklyn Nets and where we're at with that team? I mean, I feel like you have to take a look at the win that Milwaukee had the previous game against Philadelphia, 118-116. And they have been frantic here in the fourth quarter of games to try to close teams out. And we haven't been talking about the Milwaukee Bucks as favorites in the Eastern Conference. Why? probably because there's not as much drama surrounding this team, and the storylines are kind of vanilla. I mean, which is so wild. We're talking about an MVP-caliber player here in Giannis Antetokounmpo, yet this is like the fourth or fifth team that we bring up every single time we talk about the Eastern Conference, which right now is in a state of chaos where you could have the one-seed Miami Heat playing any number of these teams Nine. considering, considering how right now they, shake out down yeah, they, the stretch of the season. They, there's five games left. Statistically, the Heat could still match up with nine different teams in the first round of these playoffs, which is uh, just yeah. incredible. That's how much parity we have in the East this season. Yeah, and I think that for the Milwaukee Bucks and in, in realizing what these wins have meant to them down the stretch of the season at Philadelphia, at Brooklyn, and then they have the, the Clippers tonight, uh, and they have them at home, they're in a really good spot right now, I think, to kind of flex that, that muscle where, okay, we are still the defending champions. Yes, we're the two seed, which is so wild. Again, we're, we don't talk about them as the two seed. They're 48 and 28, and I think that this win ends up saying more about how they survived 
and that they can survive. I mean, it was a hectic turnover sort of frenzy there against the Brooklyn Nets, and it nearly killed them last night. That's why that game oh, goes to overtime. You know, I mean, turning the ball over has been a pretty big problem for the Bucks this season. Um, 23 last night, which is crazy when you think about it and the points off turnovers that, that you know, kind of got this game all the way into overtime for the Brooklyn Nets. And, like, I don't know if it says – I think it says more about the way that Milwaukee survived than it does about Brooklyn. Like, that's a – that's a tough pill to swallow. Like I'm still picturing Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant there at the end of the game and that shot rimming out, and them not being able to to figure out what was going on in the third quarter and what that lull was. The Milwaukee Bucks figured it out, and this is the time of year where it's figure it out season. So you can figure it out then when you get into the playoffs. Considering, like we've been talking about. David, they could play a number of different teams here, and you could have one of these elite matchups that you'd probably like to save for the Eastern Conference semifinals or finals actually becoming a first-round matchup, and that's good. I think it's a good body of work that the Milwaukee Bucks have put together and puts them in a good position that they're ready come play in t- come playoff time. Well, and you're right. We haven't been talking about them this season because it's boring to talk about well-run a 50, franchises a with team. really know, good right? players Consistent with no drama. 50-win yeah. teams. Yeah, they're I very boring. fun in that. Courtney, you know, come on, defending champs. I mean, they've already, they already know. No vaccination questions. No, I exactly. mean, like it's a very boring team. It's a very boring. They're all out there. They can all, they're all available to play. What, you know, what, what do we, what is there to talk about other than the fact that, you know, they're very good. And, fa- and frankly, I would have them as my favorite to win the East. And of course we did just see them do that. I think though, that this suits Milwaukee just fine. Because I imagine that Giannis is a player. He chose to stay in Milwaukee. I think he revels in being, you know, smaller market, underdog, which is funny to say about Giannis at this point. But I think that this speaks to that where, yes, fine, spend all your time talking about the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll be quietly over here doing our thing and winning another ring like you just saw us win one. Go ahead and sleep on us and we'll go ahead and do our thing. And that's essentially what they did last season. And I kind of think that's quietly what the Bucks are doing this season. But it's also obvious that Giannis has taken his game up a notch here as we round out the season. And that's pretty typical with superstars. We all, we all know that a lot of superstars, the regular season, eh, there's 82 of them. It's a lot mm-hmm. of games, you know. We don't even like to show up for all of them when we're superstars because we like to rest. So... I think Giannis, he's getting himself in the zone as we head into the playoffs because often we see these generational talents and these superstars take their game to another level in the postseason, and I think that's what the Bucks are gearing up for. Shanae Ngumake, she's, of course, ESPN's NBA analyst. She was on SportsCenter. She talked about the statement that the Bucks made in their win over the Nets. I see the Bucks saying that we're the best team in the East and we're the team that's going to come out of the East. And it's led by their best player in Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, 44 and 14 last night. He was not afraid of anybody or anything. And he's going up against KD and Kyrie. That three that you saw, you know, to clinch it into overtime was so impressive because that's the evolution of his game. Being able to knock down a three, stretch the floor, pass the ball, and finish at the rim as we've known. He is the most dominant player in the NBA right now and somehow the Bucks have been flying under the radar but I have a feeling that's exactly where they want to be a chip on their shoulder and they want to repeat as champions 
Shanae and I agree to that point. Giannis had 44 points last night, 14 boards, and six assists. On the other side, Kevin Durant, he put up 26 last night, 11 assists, seven boards, still wasn't enough. Kyrie also put up 25 last night. The Nets lost by one point in overtime. So a close game, a game without Ben Simmons on the court. Courtney, uh, I still don't know if we're going to see Ben Simmons. He got a he got an extension on his shoe deal, so maybe yes, we don't need that. you know maybe we don't need to see Ben Simmons. He's still out here signing shoe deals. Apparently, Nike gave him an extension that was after he flirted with New Balance about potentially switching brands. So you don't have to play basketball or be available to do it in order to get these uh, lucrative shoe deals. Apparently, but Ben Simmons appears like he's not going to be available to this Nets team. How much of a problem do you think that is as we enter into the postseason? Well, it's interesting because we know what happened after the trade and that there was this talk of, okay, it's it's back soreness and he's got to condition himself and he's got to have this ramp-up period. And then it's, okay, it might actually be a little bit more serious than that and, you know, an ongoing issue. And then there's this report that came out today from Shams over at um, Stadium, and he said that Ben Simmons has actually begun ramp-up work and could somehow be back as soon as next week. Quote, he wants to get out there no matter what, even if he's not 100% healthy. Ben returning against the Cavaliers is a strong possibility. So if he's ready, I mean, the play-in tournament starts April 12th, and currently the Brooklyn Nets are the eighth seed where they would travel to Cleveland in the first round um, and play the seven-seeded Cavaliers. So that would be a nice addition I just wonder how realistic is this because we have flirted with this idea before that he's going to come back and then he hasn't. I I don't know if I'm going to subscribe to the thought that it's really going to happen because it felt, and even from like Steve Nash's comments, that this could be an ongoing thing where we, he didn't see the floor this season. It's a nice thought. There are two players I'm tired of frankly hearing about until they actually go out there and are playing basketball. And that's Anthony Davis and that's also Ben Simmons. Like, I, I'm just tired of like, we're walking or we're talking the talk and we're not walking the walk. Like, let, just let me know when they're available to play again. And listen, we're doing this song and dance. We'll get into the Lakers later in the show. We're doing this song and ga- dance even tonight with AD. And maybe he makes an appearance or maybe he doesn't, you know. And, and with Ben Simmons, it's kind of a lot of the same. It's been going on for so long with Ben Simmons. And we hear he has the ruptured disc. That sounds very serious. We all think, all right, we're not going to see him at all on the court this season or this postseason now it's like all right maybe he's ramping up to play but Courtney what could he really contribute I mean he's never played on this team he's now ramping up to play at apparently not 100 percent according to Shams and he's not used to any of the chemistry here in this lineup I just have a hard time understanding I understand the Nets need him defensively Mm -hmm. I guess I just have a hard time understanding why it's worth it to go out there and risk if in fact you actually do have a ruptured disc why it's worth it at this late in the season, at this point, even if your team does need you, it seems like a dangerous game to be playing. If you're legitimately injured, if you're Ben Simmons, he hasn't played basketball in yeah. so long. I mean, this is not, I mean, I just likened it to the Anthony Davis situation, but we saw him play basketball, you know, over a month ago. We haven't seen Ben Simmons play basketball in a year. Expecting him to make his debut in the playoffs and for it to be. Go something well. <laughs> something that propels this team towards a championship feels a little far-fetched at this point. He hasn't even practiced. Like, practiced. Are, we ex- are we expecting, because you know the intensity is at a completely different level when it's the postseason, even if you're in the play-in tournament, probably even more if you're in the play-in tournament, because you realize how long of a road you have ahead. So 
I can't see it. I think it's probably the safer thing to shut him down. But again, you know, this team is the eight seed right now. If they truly think, okay, no more vaccine restrictions on Kyrie Irving, like you you have him, he's you know not just a part-time player now, he's a full-time player for you, unless somehow they end up in Canada. Um, like, do you, can, is it just enough to have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to win a championship? I think last year showed us that that's not the case. Like that's You need more than that. I don't know if Ben Simmons is going to be that missing third piece, though that can actually like put this puzzle together, just considering we haven't seen him play. We haven't seen him play with these two at all this season. He hasn't played basketball since last June. Yeah, I mean, I guess far-fetched. I guess if KD wore smaller shoes, then <laughs> he wouldn't need Ben Simmons out there necessarily. But it does feel far-fetched to me, just from a chemistry perspective. He's an elite defender. I think that this team needs him ultimately. I'm just not sure that right now is the time for him to try to make a comeback. Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we transition to another team with a ton of drama surrounding it all season. So we've been talking about them. Let's talk about them more. The Philadelphia 76ers. Are they the real threat to win the East? That's next. This is ESPN Radio. Why did the bicycle could not stand on his own? It was too tired. <laughs> ESPN Radio. There is drama in Philadelphia. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Courtney Cronin. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. The Philadelphia 76ers, Courtney, last night suffered a brutal loss, 102-94, to on the road to the lowly Pistons. They scored only 15 points in the fourth quarter, blowing a late lead. The bench of Philadelphia was outscored 39-8 to by Detroit's bench. But when Doc Rivers spoke after the game, he had something very interesting to say. Here was the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Well, they didn't struggle. Um, you know, they didn't get a lot of shots, you know, in, in their defense. I think during that stretch, it was more James, you know, than, than them. So, yeah, it's just a tough night. He was referring there to that bench that, again, Courtney, was outscored 39-8 to by the Pistons bench. Now, I am all about piling on top of James Harden. And I am all about Doc Rivers even scapegoating James Harden because it's easy to do right now is pile on on James Harden. But I was a little taken aback by this comment, frankly. I feel like there's a lot to unpack here and maybe something kind of personal uh, brewing there between Doc Rivers and James Harden because as much as I like to pile on James Harden and he has not been good the last couple of weeks and has certainly been underperforming, I don't know if we can blame all the bench woes last night from the 76ers on Harden. No, I mean, that was a fair question that was posed about did your bench kind of fail you there? Because when your bench scores eight points, <laughs> that's a problem. But to play devil's advocate here, it did sound in that whole, we didn't hear the whole exchange, but you know how some people in that room took it was that Doc either didn't finish or articulate his thought entirely because he was talking about when the bench players were on the floor, James Harden was the primary shot taker along with them on the floor. And the bench was over five in the first half. So I guess if you want to look at it through that lens, like Harden was being a ball hog and not spreading it around to your bench. I I, mean, what are we doing there? That's, that's what I I find strange. I think it is a sign that something bigger here is brewing, that there is something underneath the surface that 
James Harden and Doc Rivers are not aligning. And it's not hard to see why. I mean, we've heard the rumors out there about Mike D'Antoni and potentially uh, seeing Doc Rivers get sacked here by Daryl Morey now that James Harden is a Philadelphia 76er. Maybe he wants his guy, his head coach in, and Doc Rivers could be feeling the heat for that and letting James Harden know. I mean, it was a comment when you hear it. It does come across in a way that looks like he is indeed throwing James Harden under the bus, but some of it's been justified, Amber. Last night, yeah, he scored 18 points, but it was on 4 of 15 shooting, 1 of 8 in the second half with 4 points. This is what happens. He disappears down the stretch. I mean, we talk about the playoff version of James Harden that we expect to see every year and how it ends up being just a nosedive off a cliff. He can have the best regular season of anybody, of anybody in the NBA. And then you get a different version of him in April, and it feels like we're foreshadowing that the way that he's played the last couple weeks here for the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, 4 of 15 last night, 4 of 13 the other night uh, in that game against the Boston Celtics that they ended up winning, and he was plus 19. But still, just like the inconsistent shot-taking and just some of the decision-making that he's had on the floor, I guess that's what you expect from someone who might fall into that volume shooter category. But that could be a really big problem for you when it's Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and then who? Who else are you relying on? Those are your three that you're expecting to carry you to a championship in the Eastern Conference? I mean, if you're not having James Harden playing at a higher level than the way he's been playing right now, I can understand why you'd be frustrated. Well, and any volume shooter can be streaky, but Harden's game's supposed to be more well-rounded than that. We absolutely have seen him disappear in the postseason before, uh, quite famously, or infamously, I guess I should say. But I wonder if there's more to this, Courtney, because when we saw him disappear back, you know, in Houston against the Warriors and and those stories from the postseason, we're talking about a guy in his prime. Mm -hmm. James Harden not very old. I mean, he's in his early 30s still, but I do wonder, I am getting to a point now where I'm starting to legitimately wonder if somehow we are on the back end of Harden's prime already. And I had always thought that he was hamming up the injuries, hamming up the hammy, so to speak, that he was, you know, putting on the fat suit when he wanted out of Houston, or he was maybe milking the hamstring a little bit more than it needed to be milked when he was in Brooklyn. But now he's where he claims that he has been wanting to be, and he's playing Playing for Maury, who he wanted to work for, and yet we're still seeing this side of James Harden. And so I am led to believe that maybe there is actually a legitimate issue here where he's not quite the same player that he once was, whether that can be fixed. I don't know if that hamstring needs some serious treatment in the offseason, and that's what we're talking about, or if we're talking about a player who is just on the back end of his prime and that this is the James Harden that we're going to get that Philly traded the assets for. It's it's an interesting conversation with James Harden because he's a polarizing figure and he hasn't always stepped up when you've wanted him to step up during his prime. So it's hard to unpack what's actually happening here. The other possibility is that he wants Mike D'Antoni as his coach. Could he be tanking for D'Antoni now? You know, it's like Harden's always tanking for something, right? We want out of Houston. We gained the weight. We went out of Brooklyn. We can't walk on our leg all of a sudden for a few days. Now we're like, we've lost a step to get D'Antoni in place. It's just, just something perpetually we're going to be doing with James Harden forever. Yeah, I mean, the streaky shooting aside, if you take a look at like when he actually started playing in Philadelphia after being inactive all of those games because of the injury to his hamstring... 
you know, that alone, it's like, all right, which James Harden are you going to get? Are you going to get the guy that goes 6 of 10 from the floor and can end up, like, winning you a game? Or are you going to get the guy who's 3 of 17? That's a lot of that, too, is on Daryl Morey, who's probably feeling the heat because he made this trade under the guise that this is what you need to win a championship here. You need to ship Ben Simmons, who is apparently, like, you know, a cancer to this team and, you know, not not wanted in Philadelphia. You need to send him to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for a player who came to Brooklyn, forcing his way out of Houston, thinking, OK, that's what that's the core that I need to be part of this big three with Kyrie and KD to be winning a championship that doesn't work and now you try something else like it's time going to be up here on James Harden when we think okay we've he's gotten whatever he's wanted the last 24 months more or less in in forcing his way out of teams and onto new ground Daryl Morey here is probably feeling the heat that okay I made this move and it's not it's not looking great right now considering you know I've got the head coach calling out you know, one of your star players and saying it wasn't the bench's fault, it's James Harden's fault, like realizing that there's probably something he's trying to mitigate from boiling over as this team gets ready for the first round of the NBA playoffs in the Eastern Conference where they're set up to play this Chicago team, which I can't tell. One day they're good, one day they're not. Last night, DeMar DeRozan drops 50 points in the overtime win over the Clippers. Like, And if they get knocked out, the Philadelphia 76ers, that is, if they get knocked out in the first round, What's hap- whose jobs are safe at this point? Definitely feel not like it's Doc, Doc Rivers. Rivers. No, and, probably and, is it is Daryl Morey safe? Can we confidently say that considering the so. moves that he's pulled off to be able to build this team? I think he still is safe. I don't think Doc Rivers would be safe, and I'm not even sure if they get past the first round if Doc Rivers' job is safe. If they don't win a championship or at least the East, I'm not sure Doc Rivers' job is safe. And I think that that was part of what happened last night in that press conference. If we know the rumors, Courtney, if we know the rumors about James Harden wanting Dan Tony to be his coach, then certainly Doc Rivers knows those rumors as well. So maybe there's some tension there. To your point, though, about Maury, you know, this deal, we're never going to be able to fully evaluate this deal until we see what Ben Simmons, I think, looks like for Brooklyn. But absolutely, Which we may not 70, see this year. And we may not see that this season. Absolutely, though, the 76ers gave out some important role pieces in that deal, like the Seth Curry's and Andre Drummond's of the world. And so that is coming to bite them a little bit now. I do maintain, though, if your championship hopes rested on Seth Curry, then I'm not sure they were particularly strong to begin with. Not that he's not a nice role player, but that's exactly what he is, a role player. All right, coming up next, how does the head coaching change impact the Tampa Bay Bucks as title contenders? That is next. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Courtney Cronin. ESPN Radio. DK Metcalf is a specimen of a human. <laughs> he is unbelievable the way he's built the speed. Remember, he ran a 4-3-3 at the 40-yard dash at the Combine, or he somehow chased down Buda Baker and prevented that pick six, reaching a top speed reportedly of over 22 miles per hour. He's had 29 touchdowns over his three seasons in the NFL. He is an unbelievable athlete and absolutely looks the part in a way, in the, in a way that I don't think anybody else, frankly, looks the part in the entire NFL. So you would think... All this guy does is eat, uh, drink protein shakes, right? And eat like, I don't know, whatever Tom Brady eats uh, to stay alive forever and play football forever. And then he must be so tuned in to every component of his diet. And yet, apparently, not at all the case. Because he was asked on the KJ KG Certified Podcast, which is, of course, Kevin Garnett's podcast, 
what his diet consists of. And his response was, I eat one meal a day, drink one coffee, and eat like three to four bags of candy. What is that? I mean, intermittent fasting. Does that fall into that category? No, I don't think that's, Maybe he, I don't I mean, think that's how you, that works. Well, I mean, technically, I was told, Amber, that if you do IF and it's like you pick your eight hours, you can eat whatever you want during that period. That is so, what people say. So you're you're theorizing here yes. that he eats four bags of candy in one in like, that eight two hour, hour period. period. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's how he's able to keep a 12-pack. Oh, Maybe we goodness. should try it. Maybe we, you know what? Maybe that is what's standing between you and I uh, and, and looking <laughs> as athletic as DK Metcalf. I cannot believe this. Honestly, I don't believe it. That's how far I can't believe it. Like, I, I, like, I think he's lying. But uh, he went on to explain that it's gummies, lifesavers, Skittles. For example, apparently around 4.30 p.m., before eating dinner at 8 or 9 in the evening, that's his only actual meal, and then he sleeps. How do you sleep with all that sugar? I have no idea. That's the- like the equivalent of the one cup of coffee he drinks. He's got to be wired. I mean, maybe maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it leads to a crash, then he gets a good night of sleep after he has a full stomach of dinner. Maybe this is why I have more than one cup of coffee a day, because I'm just not eating enough candy. I never thought of it like that. Uh, Lifesavers, though. I I feel like the lifesavers... Those are still a thing? Yeah. I mean, DK Metcalf is keeping them in business, because he's eating four bags of lifesavers. Like, lifesavers are like, eh... They're not even that great. If I'm eating four bags of candy, Lifesavers are not the candy I'm reaching for. This is quite the smorgasbord, too, with the gummies, the Lifesavers, the Skittles. I could get down with Skittles, but golly, I can only eat a few of any of these candies before I'm so sick of it and so sick of the sugar. I don't know how he does this, but hey, if you want a six-pack, follow his diet, apparently. ESPN Radio. So we had big news in the NFL this week. We have big news in the NFL about every single day, Courtney, even though it's the offseason, something I'm sure you know all about since you're on the beat for the Bears. This is ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Courtney Cronin. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at Amber W790 at Courtney R. Cronin. You can also join the conversation at 888-SAY-ESPN. It has been a wild offseason in the NFL. I mean, do you remember one? That's as crazy as this one with all the breaking news? Probably 2020, but that's only because Tom Brady, like, they, first off, they rammed that CBA through a wall to get it ratified before COVID hit because we had no idea what was going to happen. And then that's when Tom Brady ends up leaving New England to go down to Tampa Bay, and it sets off, you know, this chain reaction. But nothing as crazy as trade season, which is now free agency season. This, I mean, and then all of a sudden you have Bruce Arians on March 30th saying, I'm moving to the front office. I'm no longer coaching. I mean, on March 30th, like after it's two weeks after the free agency period had kind of calmed down for, for all intents and purposes. It's not like this chaotic thing every single day that we saw during that first and second week. It's, it's been a wild offseason, and you're right. The timing of the Bruce Arians retirement, highly, highly, highly unusual. So we had the unretiring of Tom Brady this offseason in Tampa. We had the re- actual retiring, at least for now, who knows, uh, Bruce Arians in Tampa. Todd Bowles is, of course, now the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So let's talk about the impact that has on the Bucks, Courtney, in terms of the standings. Where do you put now the Tampa Bay Bucks in the NFC? Have things changed for you now that Bruce Arians has stepped down. No, because while this would typically, you know, losing a coach in the middle of the offseason 
is not ideal for most franchises, but this franchise was set up for success the day that Tom Brady announced that he was unretiring, and then there was this domino effect of re-signings that happened for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, they ended up losing a couple players in free agency, but for the most part, they reloaded. And I think that they are in a good spot right now considering everything else around them in the NFC South is status quo, if not getting worse, like a team like Carolina and, you know, the Atlanta Falcons are very much in rebuild mode. So that shouldn't be very difficult for them. And the rest of the NFC is not very difficult. It's a top-heavy conference with about four teams, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Los Angeles Rams, the Green Bay Packers, and I don't know, maybe you end up throwing a team like the Dallas Cowboys in that mix. Maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. Maybe it's the San Francisco 49ers, depending upon what happens at their quarterback spot. But you get what I'm saying. Like, it's a top-heavy conference. It's the four teams I mentioned, and then just about everybody else. So I still think that even with a different head coach, you still have Tom Brady as your quarterback. The 11 wins or whatever it was for the win totals that came out yesterday – That's probably a fair number, even though I think it's a little high uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think any team that gets put in, like, the double-digit category that goes over 10, that feels like a reach. But then again, this team cruised through its division last year. They were in the NFC divisional playoff game all the way until the very end because of who they had at quarterback. So what makes you think that that's going to be any different this year with Todd Bowles as the head coach? You still have Byron Leftwich calling plays as the offensive coordinator. You still have Tom Brady and even more weapons around him this year, and you don't have Antonio Brown there. So if we eliminate one distraction, you have a million more things that have surrounded this team and bolstered this team for success this year. So I think that they're going to be just fine. And I this, don't know if the coaching change really affects what's going to happen with the on-field product. And this division has gotten even easier this mm-hmm. season uh, than even last because it's a new era, of course, in New Orleans. I- I'm with you. This just doesn't change much for me because – First of all, you have the greatest quarterback at the helm, so there's that. Uh, You still have everybody also intact. It's not like a hiring from the outside where I don't know what to expect. I think it's really important here that Bruce Arians essentially instituted everything that he wanted to institute in terms of this offseason. Most coaches in waiting don't want to go into that situation, but it's kind of how it worked out with the timing of things. That's why it's so unusual for a coach to retire so late. But Todd Bowles assumes all of that then, where – it is Bruce Arians' system. It's Bruce Arians' offseason. It's Bruce Arians' free agents. And it's a team that we have largely seen, and we've largely seen this team win a ring before because once Tom Brady unretired, everybody else started coming back, like you said. So I don't think this changes much in Tampa, even though I don't know if, how successful, I guess, Bowles is going to be. Uh, it didn't go so well for him in New York. I think this is a very different situation for him, though. The OC's the same, and most importantly, the quarterback is the same and you're right that nfc man uh it is a nice conference to be in we move on to college basketball next coach k we talk about his legacy as unc tries to end it tomorrow